Okay, so flip open to Romans 16. And we've got a longer passage today. I'll get us started and read through it. Bear with me. Got a couple names here that are a little challenging. So that's why I'm not going to ask for a volunteer at first, but we'll have some volunteers read some other passages later. So Paul is at the end of this letter, and he says to the church in Rome, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Sestra, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epaphanes, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amphipetus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stasius, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are the household of Artisobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Trypania and Tripotius, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Astrinus, Pelasian, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren with them. Greet Philophagus and Julia, uh, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. All right. Well, lots of people, lots of names here. Um, we're going to go over some of them. Not every single one in detail, because we don't have a lot of detail with most of the people listed in this list. Um, but we want to look at what Paul's written about the first couple um, that we have in here, understand why he's writing this, look at why they're being written about and why he's asking the church in Rome to greet them. Uh, so we'll start at the beginning just with uh, Phoebe and find out what we can uh, understand about this servant of the Lord. So first he says uh, he's commending to the church in Rome, um, our sister Phoebe. Uh, she's a servant at the church of um, Centria, Centria, however you say that. Okay, anyone have an idea where that might be? Any guesses? Let's take a look. Um, it is a port of Corinth. There you go. <laughs> Flip to my cheat. Good. Yeah, there's, if you have um, references on your Bible that point you to other verses, those can be helpful. Flip over to Acts 18, 18. Someone will read that for us out loud. 
Yes. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Pris Priscilla and Aquila and Centria. He had his hair cut, for he was keeping about. Okay. So he was with the other two that he we're going to mention in the next verse. And what was he doing? What did it say that very last part of that uh, verse there? He was doing what? He cut his hair. Do you remember what Paul did to cut his hair? Why did he do that? Made an oath. Made an oath to who? Do we remember? Remember that story? Jeremy, you want to help us out here? Well, I think in, the, uh, in Acts 21, he was joined in with some, we have more to the story, where he joined in with some who were keeping a vow. Mm -hmm. But in Acts 18, I think this was a personal vow that he had made. We don't have too much detail on the Acts 18 vow keeping. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, apparently a Nazarite vow mm -hmm. from number six. And even as a Christian, he was still participating in that, it looks like. Yeah. Now, why would he cut his hair off when they usually leave? The hair alone. That's the end of the vow. Uh, there you go. Did you stay away from grapes? <laughs> That's part of the vow. If, if it wasn't for the information, do they? They just say you did a vow. Yeah. Right? So we have a little information on what he was doing there. Um, it points us to uh, Phoebe serving at that time that she was there in that area. It mentions that same location, and that he says that's where she's from, from the church of that area. So she was there, and um, we're speculating a lot as we go through this passage with who was doing what, um, but commentators are thinking she was there, she was serving the church, she was serving Paul, and she was serving those who were ministering with Paul at the same time. So in verse 2, uh, Paul instructs that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of uh, that for herself has also been a helper of many and myself as well. So we see that she's been a helper of many, that she's been helping Paul. Uh, we know Paul um, is a hard worker always, that he puts in his heart into everything. And as he was there, that she was there too. So um, it's likely that they got to know each other pretty well at that point. Can I have someone flip to Matthew 25 and verses 35 through 40, if I can get you to read that for me, for the class out loud. Yeah. 25, 25, for I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. <laughs> I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to, the one, to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Thanks. So you remember that passage back in Matthew. And the reason we're pointing that out this morning um, is because Paul is asking the church in Rome to um, receive Phoebe in a manner worthy of the saints. 
and that passage points us to a manner worthy of the saints, right? Um, that everything that we do to one another, we're doing to Christ, and um, he is wanting her to be welcomed uh, with open arms, right? To be welcomed in a manner worthy of the saints. What I love about this passage that we're seeing, um, Paul names many females in this passage. It's not just men, right? We're not just focusing on men and everything that they've been able to do. He starts saying, hey, here's my sister in Christ, and I want you to welcome her into your family, into your church of God, um, as you would receive any saint as well. And he's making that the first point here. So it's, it's really great to see that he must have had a, a great love for Phoebe and her work for Christ and what they were able to do together. I'm looking forward to asking that when we get to see them, right? That'd be, that'd be great to know everything that everyone was doing at that time that Paul mentions that we have so little information on. Um, this could be the, the possibility of her being the first one mentioned here. Um, again, speculation, but some commentators want to think that she was the one that delivered this letter to the church in Rome. Um, there's nothing that will um, make that certain for sure that we're aware of. But uh, her being first and foremost, she could have been the one doing it. She could have been the one going with the group that uh, was taking this letter to the church. But... Um, as they're reading through it, and he's beginning this part of the very last part of this uh, letter, she's the first one that, that he mentions. And although they would, as someone arrives with uh, some instruction and letter of this magnitude, um, Paul makes a point at the end here to remind them that uh, she has helped him get to where he was at, as well as many others here in this list. Okay, let's move to Prisca and Aquila. So the next couple verses. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Okay, well, this couple, do you recognize their names at all? Where do we know them from? Can you remember? Can you recall where they've been named before? What did you say? Acts. Acts? Okay. Acts 18.18. Yeah, we just read through that. Acts 18.18. <coughs> yeah, we've got more information on, on these two than pretty much anyone on this list, which is great. Um, so Luke mentions them three times in Acts, right? Remember, Luke wrote, wrote Acts, um, and three times by Paul. So we see it in 1 Corinthians, um, 2 Timothy. Why don't we flip over to Acts 18 again? If someone can read verses 1 through 3, and let's remind ourselves uh, who, who this couple is. 1 through 3, whoever, whoever has that verse, go for it. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and when he went and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Okay, so right there we got quite a bit of information. What did you gain from that? What do we know about these this couple? First things where they were from. With yeah. Okay. 
which is? Inmakers, and Paul worked with them, and I wonder if they didn't share a lot of information while they were working together. Absolutely, okay. So they're in Corinth, they're tent makers. Um, Paul's gonna work with them. And yeah, we can speculate that they spent quite a bit of time together. Absolutely. What else do you know from this passage? Kicked out of Rome. Right. Okay, good. Why? Why were they kicked out of Rome? They were Jews. Yes. Okay, good. All right, so we see that um, they were Jews. They left Athens. They went to Corinth. Um, They're from Italy. They were tent makers. And um, they were, Paul went to go work with them, right? He stayed there, and they were working, for they were, uh, for by the trade, they were tent makers. So they, they were doing life together. And what happens when you do life together with someone? Yeah. Yeah, we get to know each other really well, don't we? And when we're outside of these walls, and we make the effort to do life together, when we go do a men's retreat, when there's a, a women's retreat, when there's meals at each other's houses, when there's um, you know, play dates for the, the women and the children and the guys can get together and, and do breakfast uh, here and there. Um, fun stuff. And then there's stuff that there's, you know, there's meetings and other things that we do to organize our church here. But um, the more time we spend together, the better we get to know each other. And the more time, the more effort we put in to be intentional, the more intimate we're going to be able to be with, with one another, to know each other's lives and hearts, right? To know what's, what's on our hearts with each other and um, why we might have some struggles and why we might have some issues and what to, what to celebrate together as those things come about. <laughs> they're not putting in applications. Right. And their and their husband and wife, they have the same trade, they work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, back in Romans sixteen, what do we learn about them and those two verses that we just looked at? As Paul mentions them to the church of Rome. Fellow workers in Christ. Yeah? Fellow workers in Christ? Are they getting older? <laughs> well, no one's getting younger. <laughs> What's the time frame between Acts and Peter? Anybody keep track of that? The reason I say that, it says, uh, I just read it, hold on, this writing. I've got a large print Bible on it. So in Acts 18, that was Paul's first time going through Corinth on his second missionary journey. And then he's writing Romans from Corinth again when he's back through there again. So there have been a few years that have gone by. What I'm not, not a ton of time, but. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's yeah. That's something new we learn outside of Acts here in Romans, where Paul says in 
um, the verse that risked their own necks uh, for his life. Uh, to, and he says, I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So they're going, um, and w- whatever they're doing as they're there, as they were in Athens before, as they're doing tent making, as they're working hard, and they're working in the Lord, they're also they're putting themselves on the line. They are uh, intentionally defending the church and defending Paul um, in circumstances that are coming about. That sounds like it was life-threatening circumstances. So yeah, Paul, if he's living with them, if he's working with them, and he's um, doing life with them, and they're risking their own lives for each other, uh, yeah, he's going to know them. He's going to know them very well, and um, and we can see why you know they're named second here, you know, and he wants this church to greet them and to love them like the other saints. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But also for the Gentiles. Yes, yep, for the Gentiles too. Okay. Well, let's keep moving on. Um, verse 5 just says, also greet the church that is in their house. So they are also um, doing church out of their house, right? Now, what that looks like and what that means. Um, we don't have exact details, but we know that a lot of uh, churches were out of people's homes and they would welcome them and, and come in and teach and preach uh, the word of God, the gospel to all that would listen. Um, and so everyone that's a part of the, their church uh, should be greeted as they are. Then he says, greet uh, Apatinus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Well, that's probably exciting for Paul if this individual is the the first convert from Asia. Um, We're we're told that that's Asia Minor as we know it now, which would be Turkey. Um, Paul speaks affectionately about this uh, saint. Um, It's likely that he discipled under Paul, and they got to know each other uh, very well and spent time together also. Um, Paul makes special effort to... Uh, say that about him and point it out to the the church in Rome here. But we don't have a lot of extra information about that. Okay. Yeah. 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 And the fruit continues to yield more fruit as they are workers in Christ and as they work together. That's good. Okay, we'll keep going. Uh, Verses 6 and 7 says, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Uh, Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who are also in Christ before me. Well, there's some interesting information in those verses. What do you think? What do you think first off reading through that? What's what's some of the questions that come to your mind? Probably innocent. Well, maybe Paul was innocent, but maybe they 
these fellow countrymen, maybe they weren't innocent. And maybe he a little bit But they did time. I mean, we're a prison deal. I say time. I'm sorry, I live too close to a prison. <laughs> Do you? It, it, it's possible. Um, we see references to verses like that where um, oh, Paul's mentioning they're prisoners of Christ. They're prisoners of they're Christ. Prisoners in, yeah. They're not doing time. Yep. Yeah. They're doing time for the Lord. That's all we have to go by. That's all right. But yeah, Paul's made that reference a couple times. Um, and those are probably on the side of your Bible too if you have references there. But um, yeah, prisoners in the Lord. And he uses that term uh, a couple times. And uh, it's not in a, a bad manner either. What else do you see in these verses? Yeah, and she gets noted for that, doesn't she? It's good. See, he named uh, Adronicus and Junius as, as what? His kinsmen? What does that mean? Say it again. They're Jews. They're Jews. Okay, good. He's identifying the Jews. What does he mean by who are outstanding among the apostles? Were they apostles too? Came to the Lord before him. Yep, absolutely. And when he says they're outstanding among the apostles, what what does that mean? Say it again. They were known. Okay. So we're not taking this as they are apostles? Capital A? Why would we? Why would we? Yeah. Well, um, what is the apostle? What's, what's the, the, the term mean itself? Lowercase apostle. Uppercase apostle. Yeah. Yeah. There's several uh, things that qualified. Uh, to make an apostle, and we know who those were. But the word apostle itself, uh, from a lowercase, yeah, someone who is sent, right? Missionary, um, a worker in Christ, a worker in the Lord, right? But yeah, as he's, as he's stating it here, again, there's not a ton of information on these verses, but we're seeing them as, as two Jews that converted to Christ, and they did outstanding work among the apostles, as Paul points out, they were in Christ before he was. So they were spending time with the Jews, uh, with the apostles, um, likely in, in Jerusalem or somewhere near where they were teaching and preaching as well. Um, and they were likely working very hard for Christ and the church at that point. Okay. Well, let's keep. Yeah. One more thing. Yep, please. So, does that mean that they would have been trained by the 12 apostles that were taught by Jesus? So, without a better way to say it, maybe second generation? Possibly. Yes. Yes, if he's saying they were outstanding among the apostles, um, it's speculation because we don't have a lot of information. But they're still doing. Mm -hmm. But they were actually, first hand would be from Jesus. Right. The second hand would be for his 
12 apostles. Mm -hmm. They were probably taught by them. Discipled by them, by the church that they, yeah, have established and were setting up in homes. Yeah, it's, it's very likely that they were there. They were experiencing it. They were in Christ before Paul was. It's likely that they could have been persecuted by Paul. They probably were. Right? Any, any Christian Jew that was before Paul, it was very likely that he had sent people after them. That's amazing to think that, right? Think of um, him recognizing them, commending them, thanking them, um, lifting them up to the church of Rome and saying, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ and love them because they loved me. They must have loved Paul after he changed because (laughs) they probably had some hard feelings there to get through. (laughs) Remember that he said even more than just both apostles too. Luke 10 talks about how he sent out 70. So they could have been first generation, so to speak. Um, of course, they weren't in that That's true. level as a 12. That's true. There were many other apostles, other or disciples. Right. Yes, the teaching was being spread as uh, our Lord sent out his workers to plant the seed. Okay, great. Well, let's look. Um, let's keep going on, starting in verse 8 through 15. Uh, I've got a note down there for you. Let's take a moment and look through uh, these people mentioned and see what commonalities between the people that Paul um, asked the Church of Rome to greet. So let's point out the, like the characteristics of what they're doing, um, what Paul says about them, and let's, let's get a list together for you so you can write that down under that section of your your paper there. But take a look through and just, yeah, if you want to call out what you see, like uh, workers in the Lord, obviously that's one that he said, and we could put to a list here. But what else do you see? What does Paul name them as? Beloved and approved. approved. Yeah. Kinsmen, correct. Beloved, approved, kinsmen. In the Lord, that's right. Verse 10 says, of the household. So that's a local church recognition right there. They were there, they were part of that group. Yep, absolutely. In a household. That means in a church, they were a part of a local body. You're right, chosen, choice man in the Lord, and then recognizes his mother as possibly uh, Paul's own mother. I got a note on that we'll read in a minute. Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, saints, yeah. One thing I'm getting is I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentile give thanks as well. So if you stop and think, these are Jewish people that spend their time teaching Greeks or Gentiles. So they're not racial. They're, they understand that it's for all. Mm-hmm. Because before it was just the Jews. Now Jesus has come and opened that up to all people. 
Mm -hmm. They understand that. Good. He's also almost given, like he's talking about the Greek one. Yeah. He's given, he's like, <laughs> he knows them. He's, them, you know, he's encouraging them to greet them, to love them. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, good. I think you checked off all the ones I put down on my list. Um, if you have any others, yeah, call them out. Let's, let's name them so you can write them down. But I got workers in the Lord, approved in the Lord, chosen or choice man in the Lord, brethren, or saints, in a household or in a church, um, fellow saints, beloved by Paul, some that are just called in the Lord, kinsmen, and then one is mentioned as a mother. I think just the fact that he knows their names. That's big, right? How many people did Paul know? Yeah. And cared enough about them to remember their names. You know, he wasn't given uh, that we know of any superhuman ability to remember names. Yeah. <laughs> but he loved, we know he loved people. That wasn't his... Um, his gift there to remember names. <laughs> it might be a good gift, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be helpful. Well, reading through uh, several of my commentaries, one, one author just said, I'm not going to be much help in this passage. <laughs> so I didn't use that one. Um, <laughs> but MacArthur's always helpful, and I found this interesting. Um, again, a, a lot of this is just speculation between other commentators, and they're trying to figure this out, but. Um, this, was, this was pretty neat, so I thought I'd just share. MacArthur writes, Paul speaks on Rufus a choice, as a choice man in the Lord has the literal meaning of chosen or elected. Paul could hardly be speaking about this, about his being chosen or for salvation, since as made clear earlier in the epistle, every believer is predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That's in Romans 8, 29. In that sense, every Christian is equally chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. The idea here, as the New American Standard Bible renders, indicates that Rufus was choice in the general sense in which that the word is used today. He was an extraordinary Christian known for his love and work for the Lord and for the Lord's people. Now listen up. This, one, this is interesting. We learn from Mark's gospel, which was written in Rome after Paul wrote his letter to Rome that Simon of Cyrene, a city in the Mediterranean coast of North Africa, who was pressed into service by the soldier to carry Jesus' cross across, at was the father of Alexander and Rufus, Mark 15, 21. Uh, Mark would have had no reason to include the names of Alexander and Rufus unless they were known to the church at large through the wide distribution of Paul's letter to Rome, or at least known to the church in Rome. Scholars therefore agree that Rufus mentioned here by Paul was one of those sons of Simon who may have been, through, uh, may have been brought to saving faith in Christ through that contact with him on the way to Calvary. If so, he must have died before the Roman epistle was written, else he surely would have been greeted and commended by Paul. If Simon, the man privileged to carry, uh, privileged to have carried Jesus across, um, 
to have walked beside him to Calvary had become a believer, he would have been among the most honored men in the early church. This is obvious. Uh, it is obvious that his wife, the mother of Rufus, believed, and it seems safe to assume that this text from Alexander likewise was converted, giving reason for Mark to mention him along with his brother. Alexander either was dead or did not live in Rome at the time, else Paul would have greeted him. So our commentators today are, are trying to piece that together and say, hey, there's a possibility that um, Rufus was the son of the wife of the man who carried Jesus' cross. So that might be why he's, he's mentioning here. Um, again, they're trying to piece it together and um, taking from other pieces of scripture, but that'd be interesting if that was, that was the case, right? We see why Paul would be mentioning him as um, also his mother and, and mine, because she would have been uh, yeah, held in high esteem. And the Mark 15, 21 verse, it says clearly, Simon of Cyrene was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Since Mark was writing to the Romans and Paul was writing to the Romans, yeah, it seems quite possible. Yeah, which is, yeah, that's pretty cool. I thought that would be fun for you to know in here. Okay. I have one last question. Yeah, go for it. So back in verse 2, you know, um, where they're going to they may receive her in the Lord. And then they have to add in a manner worthy of the same. Yeah. How come there's that added, not just not just greet her, how can they have to add in a manner of Well, as we read through in, in Matthew, I wanted to point that out as everything that you do unto another is what you do unto Christ. And that she should be welcomed and, and um, greeted as much as anyone else uh, is. And again, there was, in the culture, a separation of men and women wanting to do this and say men are here and, and women are here. And I think Paul's uh, pointing her out specifically to, to say, hey, this, this woman is our sister and she's beloved and she's worked really hard and she's served very well and she needs to be greeted just as much as anyone else. That's, that's my just, thoughts on it. So just a double emphasis that, mm -hmm. and that's why I think Yeah. All right. Well, let's move, uh, keep moving on. The holy kiss, that's next on your list there. Everyone's interested in that, right? That's why I'm here today. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, as I was prepping for this study, I'd asked a couple of my brothers, sisters here to help. Just what do you want to learn from this? But, um, you know, Logan replied back to me and gave me some, some insight from his uh, uh, what he grew up with, right? And I was wanting for you to talk a little bit about that. What you told me <laughs> to say, hey, this is what what is the holy kiss? How how is that practiced in the Mennonite church? So it's a. Uh, I, I guess it, it'd be a, a greeting. Normally, it's practiced in the church service. Um, Just specifically the in the service? Yep. Okay. And, and there are some, you know, hardcore Mennonites that on the street will do it to each other as a kind of a, just a love recognizing each other as, as brothers in Christ. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it's in, um, in the service. 
I mean, they they shake hands and kiss each other on the cheeks. Yeah. That's what it is. Okay. That's similar to the, the Greek Orthodox. My my stepmom's um, been in part of that church her whole life, and yeah, yeah they'll do that. Um, the women are more apt to do it, but some of the, the men will do it too. Um, they don't actually touch anymore. I don't know if they did before. I'm assuming they did, but yeah. Uh, when I've been to their services or even at parties, yeah, they'll, they'll greet like that for sure. But it's not uncomfortable to them. It's uncomfortable to those who are not used to that for sure. I was hoping, you know, Lizzie and Sebastian would be here to give us a real example of <laughs> what that holy kid. But hey, we have Joseph and Daniela. All right, you two, let's get up. And... <laughs> You've had a couple months practice. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, looking at this verse, um, Paul tells the church in Rome, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Um, Paul's giving admonishment in this verse as he's uh, giving it throughout the whole letter of Romans, right? Um, as he's asking everyone to be greeted. But here specifically, he's telling the church what to do. What does admonishment mean again? We went over this uh, a couple Sundays ago. But let's remind ourselves what we learned. Do you remember what admonishing is? Like a way of correction. Maybe a warning. Warning. One piece of it. Yeah. Advice. Yes. Good. Warning. Advice. And what's the one we always forget? Encouragement. Encouragement. Admonishment's not a bad. Oh. You're getting disciplined. You're getting punished. You're doing this wrong. It's, it's general counsel from your brothers and your sisters and, and Christ. Um, yes, it can be from the, the leaders in the church. It can be from the elders or the deacons. But it's not their job alone by any means, right? Paul commended the Church of Rome for um, being strong enough and having depth enough to be able to admonish one another. In their, in their own church. But it's, it's not just correcting and it's not just advising, it's encouraging as well. And it's being friendly and it's saying, hey, you got this, you can do this and let's do this together. We are one, we are a body. Uh, we are here for each other and reminding each other of the love of Christ, right? So please, please let that sink into your head on admonishment. I don't want that to be a negative term um, that when you hear it, you're like, yeah, okay, sorry. You know, um, it's just overall general counsel from Christians to Christians. And we all want to be at a point where we can give that to each other. Um, and it's, it's equal among the saints. It's, it's a good thing. Admonishment is a good thing. But he's admonishing the church here uh, to greet one another with this holy kiss. Um, the practice of the holy kiss was... Uh, of kissing basically as a greeting was very common in the Old Testament. Um, it was meant as a sign of excitement and embracing brotherly love. Um, it's hard to put ourselves in that circumstance, but you got to go back and go into the context of, of Romans and remember how long ago that was, what life was like. Um, 
Think about it for a minute, okay? It's obvious, but you really have to put yourself over there. There's no cell phones, there's no electricity, there's no motor vehicles, uh, there's no hospitals, there's no healthcare. Um, people died all the time. And we think they die a lot now, but people were dying all the time. When someone left, it was very likely that you were not going to see them again, right? Um, if you weren't door-to-door -door in the neighborhood or even in the same city and they were leaving on a trip, then that's very possible. Yeah, they wouldn't see each other again. So think of that excitement that they would have when they, when they saw each other. Put yourselves in the mindset of um, when family or friends reunite after a time. Uh, but if we didn't have any way to communicate at all whatsoever and... There's no healthcare, right? There's no airplanes, there's no fl life flight, there's nothing of that stuff. How excited would you be to see members of your family? Literal family. And this is how they saw each other in their church. And this is exactly how we should see each other in our church, right? But they didn't have any communication. And they were not afraid and not ashamed to show the love and appreciation that they have for one another. Um, I put it in terms of my own head as, you know, what if my, what if my child um, walked out of the house and was gone for even like four hours, right? And the, the fear and the fright and um, the excitement, bad excitement I would have during that time, but to find out, you know, he was fine or she was fine and they were just in the neighbor's house, right, across the driveway, something like that. Um, but that love and excitement that you would feel today for finding that child, your, your grandchild, whomever it is, um, and the embrace that you're going to have with that, with that child. You're going to cover them in, in hugs and, and kisses and, and love, um, and you're going to have a flood of emotion come through you, right? Um, some, well, why did we do that, or why did this happen? But a lot of thankful and gratefulness as well, right? Yeah? Uh, the holy kiss is mentioned five times in the New Testament, and Peter calls it a kiss of love, but same thing. And every single time it is coupled with the word greet. Yes. It's, it's never something that's done arbitrarily as some sort of ritual. It's mm -hmm. always a greeting mm -hmm. that is done. Um, it's not symbolical of anything else. It's just a greeting mm -hmm. that one person has to another. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, also keeping ourselves in their context and thinking in, the, in their sense, um, a lot of them are Jewish, right? And what happened to Jews when they gave their lives to Christ and became Christians, when they converted, what happens here when Mormons step away from the LDS church? They get shunned. They don't, they're not accepted. They're not a part of the family. And for Jews, it was pretty bad as well, right? Because there was Jews going out killing these Christians. And Paul was a part of that beforehand. So in some senses, they were outcast by their family. They didn't have family to be with anymore. They didn't have that, that family feel that we have with our families at home. And again, as we should here in our, our own local body, in our own church. So they became family together, right? So even more so that they had loving affection and an embrace for one another when they would when they would see each other after being gone for a while. Yeah, question. We're, we're just discussing, and it's still very cultural. Like you still see a lot of Italians. You know, yeah. Better on the cheek when they see each other. I'm not 
it's, it's still practiced by some cultures and in some um, societies. We're not very used to seeing it here. This uh, same admonishment to greet one another with the holy kiss um, from Paul was given in 1st and 2nd Corinthians and in 1st Thessalonians. Uh, so if you wanted to look that up, that's 1st Corinthians 16.20, 2nd Corinthians 13.12, 1st Thessalonians 5.26, and then as Jeremy mentioned, Peter, and 1st Peter 5.16. Let's flip over to Luke real quick. Luke chapter 7. Got a little bit longer verse to read here, but if I can get a volunteer, add this verse into our study this morning. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 47. Do I have someone that can... Okay, Walker, go for it, brother. Uh, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived in a, in a, lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed me money to a certain moneylender, or owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Yeah. So, seeing here, Jesus points out the fact that she is kissing his feet um, as a sign of greeting and affection and appreciation, where this Pharisee didn't do it. He didn't even give Jesus um, the welcome, the ritualistic welcome of, hey, welcome to my house, and I'm going to greet you with the, the kiss, which was definitely a formality with them at that point. Um, but he didn't even offer that to Jesus, and he points it out, this woman's been doing it um, without being asked, and it's not even her place to be doing it. Uh, but she's, she's recognizing him for who he is. And Jesus said here in verse 47, for she loved much. She was loving Christ. Um, and loving what, who he was and what he was doing, right? Um, and I, I wanted to point that out as just uh, another um, verse to look at, to reference here, saying, you know, it is a, a sign of, um, I would say, brotherly, sisterly affection, right? This is not the husband-wife affection. This is one in Christ. This is family members um, just showing that that greeting in, in a way that there is much deep um, appreciation and affection there for one another. Uh, and, and we see it throughout the Bible as these um, moments happen and how Jesus is, is greeted. 
So um, as this woman loved much, it, it shows by many ways of what she was doing. Um, and it's important to our master that lo much love is shown, right? It's important that we are seen as Christians uh, by our love, right? Ending the, the lesson here, John 13, 35. What does that verse say? Does someone have that? John 13, 35. We will be known as his disciples for the love we have for, for one another. Absolutely. Paul commends those specifically for the works that they have done in Christ, right? Um, we see that he puts special effort in to mention them, working hard. Uh, for the Lord, to putting work in for the church. Um, we too should see the need to work hard for the Lord and serve his church, church without selfishness. Um, that should be a goal of ours in our lives. Um, and again, not to check off the box of doing that in our, in our life or in our ministry, but to do it out of love. Um, he names a, the names and the works are written. Uh, they're written here in God's word uh, by Paul as God breathed his word into him. We always must remember that God breathed the, all the scripture out, right? He, he gave it to the apostles and he gave it to the authors of this book. It's there, it's written down, it's, it's there permanently, the names and the works of those. So they're written in these eternal books of the Lord um, and the Lord will take record of these and have a place of honors for those who have loved much and have done the work that they have done in love and in Christ's name. Um, but we must also greet each other with affection. Now today, here at our church, that's going to look different than what it looked like in Rome. And it's going to look different than what it, it's going to look across all churches in America, right? But it depends on where your heart's at and how you feel towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's important that we greet them as saints and as um, workers of the Lord, that we love on them and that we show that affection. And it might be in words and it might be in a handshake and it might be in an embrace of one another. Um, it just depends on, on the circumstance and uh, what you know about those individuals. But... Um, it's important that we show that love and that affection. And Paul's admonishing the church in Rome to do that with these saints, with these individuals, many whom they have not met before, but uh, it's, it sounds like they will be going to Rome if they're not there already, right? Um, making the effort to show your brothers and sisters in Christ the affection and love that we hold for one another, just as Christ does for us, is so important. Paul gives us multiple excellent examples. Um, and we, we can lack in showing the world our love for one another, even though Jesus said this is how uh, we are to be known by the, by the world. So um, remember that as we go out into the world and as we operate within uh, the boundaries that are given and, and work and um, do life. But when we come together and when we are... Uh, coming into each other's houses, as we're seen out, you know, in a public ministry, um, the, the affection and the love towards each other, um, it, it should be apparent. And whatever we do and however we do it, 
there has to be that special love in your heart for each other, for the church of God, and for the brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can gain that from what Paul is instructing the church in Rome to do here. And again, he's, he's given them lots of instruction, but he also says they are standing well and standing firm, right? They can um, admonish one another in the way that they live their lives now. So they know that. But these names are written down. They're permanent. Uh, they were given to, the, to us, to all of us as the saints that get to read this word again and again. So it is a special honor that that has been done and because of the works that they've done through their, their love for each other, for the church, and everything there. Okay. Any last questions or suggestions? Yes, please. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be amazing? Amen. Yeah. Let's end in prayer. Father, thank you again uh, for this time together. And I pray that we will um, take from this what you have given and that we will work hard in the Lord for you, knowing that we work for you and not for man, that we put in the the effort that uh, is possible through your strength, and that, Lord, we can come together and love each other with um, a healthy embrace an affection that uh, is shown to each other and that the world notices um, because of the love you filled our hearts with, Lord. Uh, we know that you have more love than we can wrap our minds around, and we are so thankful that you are our God and our Christ and our Lord and our Savior, and we lift our lives up to you. I pray that we can go worship together in one voice uh, in our main service, Lord, and that you are honored. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.